You know, back uh, when I was a freshman at Auburn University, I was uh, uh, playing football, and uh, one day we had an inter-squad game. Uh, I was a wide receiver, and a very unusual play was called that had a really unusual blocking scheme. Uh, Our offensive tackle was to go out and get the defensive end, and then I, as the receiver, who was flanked out on on an unbalanced line, weak side, I was to do what's called, and many of you football folks know what I'm talking about, I was to crack back and block the defensive tackle. Uh, That crackback block, as most of you know, is illegal now uh, because of the damage that it did to so many uh, uh, defensive players' uh, knees. Well, the defensive tackle that I was to block uh, was David Campbell. Now, any of you all know your Auburn football history? Uh, David Campbell was one of the greatest defensive players we've ever had in the history of the school. He was first-team All-American. He was uh, drafted by the uh, Dallas Cowboys. If I remember right, I think he stood about 6'5", 6'7", was 300 pounds, and I played at that time at about 150 pounds. And uh, I'll never forget when that uh, play was called, and as I began to crack back on, uh, on David, uh, I suddenly realized he didn't see me coming. And I thought, what an unbelievable opportunity. And uh, I said, I'm just going to chop him right at his knees and knock him out. And I remember I put the afterburners on, folks, and then right at the last minute, I mean, I just threw myself with everything going right into him, but right at the last second, as he, was, as he had engaged the uh, offensive guard, He saw me coming out of the corner of his eye. Our eyes met in that last minute. And he didn't even have a chance to do anything other than to take his left forearm and catch me like this as I was coming through. He literally, I'm I'm not embellishing this story, he caught me with his forearm in my chest, with me going full blast with everything I had, literally stopped my momentum, lifted me up in the air, and I ended up on my backside about five feet behind the play as uh, he made the, uh, made the tackle. Now, I came to a realization at that moment that was rather startling, and that is it's one thing to know the game plan, but a totally different thing to have the power to execute it. Amen? And you know, I believe it's the same way in our Christian lives. It's one thing for us to know God's plan for our lives, but a totally different thing to have the power to execute that plan. You know, the epitome of frustration, would not you admit this? The epitome of frustration is to know what you ought to do. Even have the desire to do it, but lack the power to get it done. Yet, that is where many Christians live their Christian lives. And what could be more discouraging than that? What could be more disappointing than to continually try but be met with failure? And at some point you just say, I'm just going to give up. What's the point? So the question is, where do you find the power 
to execute God's plan for your life? Where do you find the power to impact our world for Jesus Christ? How do you move from defeat to victory? And the answer is the filling of the Holy Spirit. So please follow along in your sermon notes as today, in today's message, I just simply want to answer one question. What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? I mean, what is it? When we use that terminology, what are we talking about? And then next Sunday, which will really be the most important message, we'll answer the question, well, how are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Five truths I want you to see. My goal today is to take a topic where there's been a lot of confusion, even a lot of division within the body of Christ, and I'm going to try to make this very, very simple. And I hope I'm able to bring uh, clarity uh, to this issue. And look at your first truth. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not an option to consider, but a command to obey. Now, I know at this point we haven't answered the question, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? But whatever it is, whatever it is, it's not an option for a believer to consider. It is a command to obey. You'll see there in your notes the four grammatical truths about Ephesians 5.18. Look at that verse. Don't be drunk with wine. Because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, just look at that verse with me. Just the sheer grammar of it in the Greek text. Number one, it's in the imperative mood. And I think most of you remember your days back in English. And you know what the imperative mood is. Uh, We are being commanded as I've already mentioned, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Also in the Greek text, it's in the plural. In other words, the filling of the Spirit is meant for all Christians, not just a select few. Also, the verb to be filled is in the present tense, which if you were to literally translate it, would read, you are to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Filling of the Holy Spirit is to be enjoyed continually, not just on some select or special occasions. And then, uh, this verb is in the passive voice. All that means is, I do not fill myself. It is God who fills me, and God fills me, as we're going to see next Sunday, as I meet certain conditions as I meet certain prerequisites. Now, since there are conditions that are to be met, then what? You can come in and out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that I want you to see, whatever the filling of the Holy Spirit is, it's not an option for a believer to consider. It's a command to obey. Look at the second truth, and here's a real key that really gets us to the heart of what is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not the coming of the Spirit into my life, but the controlling of the Spirit from within my life. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not the coming of the Spirit into my life, but the controlling of the Spirit from within my life. You know, I remember 
shortly after being saved, a person came up to me who knew I'd been converted and asked me, well, Andy, have you received the Holy Spirit? And I, and I became confused, and I asked, well, what do you mean? And they told me, well, well, Andy, after you received the blessing of salvation, that initial blessing of salvation, there is a second blessing that you need to seek and receive, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life. They also told me that I would know when the Holy Spirit would come into my life because I would speak in tongues. Now, folks, I have a lot of uh, close friends, even co-laborers in the ministry, that, uh, that believe that. And I have a wonderful fellowship with them, and we've done a lot of things together for the sake of the gospel. But uh, let me say, that's wrong. It's, that is not in harmony with the Scriptures. Now, they're very sincere, they're very well-meaning, but that's wrong. And sadly, it's brought a lot of confusion and a lot of division within the body of Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 9. This is Paul writing to the Christians in Rome. And writing to these believers, he says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then don't miss this next sentence. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Could you have a, cl a clearer statement than that? No. He's clearly saying if you don't possess the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. And when, and when you believed in Christ... He, God, identified you as His own. How? By giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. When does a person receive the Holy Spirit? When he what? Believes on Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. So, beloved, listen. There is no need to seek for something you already possess. If you are a believer, you possess the person of the Holy Spirit in His totality. The only question is, are you under His control? Go back to Ephesians 5.18, where it says, be filled with the Spirit. Let's focus on that word, filled, just for a moment. In the Greek text, it's the Greek word, pleruo. And there in your notes, we have the three ways this word is used in the New Testament. And the first way it is used is to speak of empowerment. Empowerment. For example... Uh, this word was used to describe winds that would fill the sails of a ship to move it along its course to arrive at its desired destination. In the same way, 
the Holy Spirit fills the sails of our lives, moving us along God's plan and course that He's laid out for us. The word filled was also used to speak of permeation. Now, what do I mean by permeation? Now, this dates me. Uh, I don't even know if they still have this, but when I was a little kid, I, I just loved this thing. Do you remember fizzies? Do they still have fizzies? Uh, remember, it was a little tablet, and you'd get you a glass of water as a little kid, and you'd take this fizzy tablet, and you'd throw it in the water, and remember, it would just fizz all up, and it would, it would transform the water into this, I thought, great-tasting, flavored uh, drink. And, and that's the thought. Uh, uh, permeation, just something, just filling and uh, something, and 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 consuming and absorbing. A great example in the Bible, when Mary of Bethany broke the alabaster vial of perfume and poured it on Christ. We're told in John chapter twelve, verse three, the house was filled. Same word, pleruo, was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In other words, the fragrance of the perfume so permeated the house, you could not escape its aroma no matter where you went. In the same way, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a spirit so permeating a Christian's life that the reality of Christ is obvious. That when you come into contact with that individual, you can see Jesus. But the dominant use of the word filled in the New Testament, speaks of control, control. Let me give you several examples. John 16, verse 6, it says, Sorrow has filled your heart. Luke 5, 26, they were filled with fear. Luke 6, 11, they were filled with rage. And all of those examples, those individuals were being controlled at that moment by the particular emotion that's being identified. That that emotion, whether it's fear or whether it's rage, it so overcome them that they were under its influence, under its control. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit simply means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. It's nothing more than that, but nothing less than that. It's coming under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul contrasted the filling of the Holy Spirit with what? Getting drunk. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when someone gets drunk, they come under the influence of alcohol. And under the influence of alcohol, they will do things that they would never do when sober. Right? Well, what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, don't come under the influence of alcohol. Don't come under the influence of drugs or any other substance. Come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And under the control, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, a Christian will do things for God that they would not do otherwise. Just read the book of Acts, and you discover that the filling of the Holy Spirit always resulted in courage, in boldness, to live for Christ in difficult situations, to speak for Christ, to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. The next statement in your notes is so important. The issue in the filling of the Holy Spirit is not getting more of the Holy Spirit. 
but the Holy Spirit getting more of me under His control. The issue of the filling of the Holy Spirit is not getting more of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you possess the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit getting more of me, getting more of you under His control. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is not the coming of the Holy Spirit into my life, but the controlling of the Spirit within me. Look at the third truth. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not getting charismatic gifts, but growing in Christ-like character. I already mentioned this earlier, but let's hit on this just a little bit more. The filling of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with getting charismatic gifts, but it has everything to do with growing in Christ-like character. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, one of Paul's prayers, and he says, I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through what? His Spirit. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, to empower you with strength in the inner man. Why? He goes on, he says, then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust Him. Christ will be comfortable living in you Because as you come under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit, as your life comes into harmony with His Word, Jesus is pleased. And Jesus can have His way and can have His will as He gains preeminence over your life. And then He goes on to say, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So the primary purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit It's to take you deeper into your relationship with Jesus Christ and to grow you in Christ's likeness. You know, as I mentioned earlier, there are those that will teach that speaking in tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you've never spoken in tongues, you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned earlier, that's wrong. That is not in harmony with what the Bible says teaches. Now, just think with me a moment about the example of the church at Corinth. For those of you in Sunday school, adult Sunday school, uh, right now you're going through a book study of 1 Corinthians. Now, I know you have not gotten to these chapters yet in your study, but we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 that the gift of tongues was regularly practiced in this church. Well, if speaking in tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, then you would think, well, the church at Corinth must have been the most Spirit-filled church in the entire New Testament. But when you study the book of 1 Corinthians, what do you discover? Do you discover a church filled with the Holy Spirit? No. You discover a church filled with sin, filled with selfishness, filled with division, disorder, discord, immorality. The filling of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with getting spiritual gifts. Now, you know I believe in the spiritual gifts. I've taught from this pulpit on the spiritual gifts. All I'm trying to say is the filling of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with getting those spiritual gifts. Now, God wants to use the filling to empower you to use your gift in a proper way. And apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can abuse your gifting. 
But it has nothing to do with getting those gifts. Look at John 16, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said this about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will bring me glory. Will you circle that phrase? He says, He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. See, the the, the objective of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus, as we sang earlier, to lift Him high, that others would be drawn to Him. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring attention to Himself. He puts all the attention on the beauty and the wonder and the worth of Jesus Christ. I love this statement by Joseph Parker. He summed up the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this way. What light is to the earth, the Holy Spirit is to Christ. What a magnificent, simple statement. What light is to the earth, the Holy Spirit is to Christ. In other words, light does what? It exposes, it reveals what is, what exists. And the Holy Spirit reveals, manifests, Jesus Christ. So look at the next statement in your notes. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to put the spotlight on Christ. The real test for the filling of the Holy Spirit is not, do I speak in tongues, but am I becoming more like Jesus? That's the test. So the real test of the filling of the Holy Spirit is not, do I speak in tongues, but am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I becoming more loving, more kind, more forgiving? One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is the next one there in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit controls me, as the Spirit brings me under His influence, the ultimate goal, the ultimate, ultimate objective is to form Christ in me, that He might be displayed through me, that wherever I go, I will take Jesus with me to extend, to express His character and to exhibit His power. Look at the fourth truth about the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not an experience to be sought, but a relationship to be maintained. This is such an important truth. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not an experience to be sought, but a relationship to be maintained. See, many Christians make the mistake of seeking some dramatic spiritual experience that suddenly is going to just usher them into some super spiritual realm. Folks, it does not work that way. That's not how God designed Christian growth and maturity. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't go too far the other way. I am not saying that the Christian life is void of spiritual experience. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this. Just like romance in marriage, listen now, just like romance in marriage is a byproduct of what? A healthy marriage relationship. 
So spiritual experiences are the byproduct, the fruit of a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. Let me state that again. He's a person. He's not an it. He's not a ghost. He's not some uh, just powerful force, you know, the good side of the force. No, He's a person. And we are to relate to Him like a person. Look at the three basic commands. They're there in your notes. Look at the three basic commands in the New Testament relating uh, to the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30 we read, Do not bring sorrow or grieve, grief to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Now, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? How do you bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit who dwells within you as a believer? When you do things that displease Him. When you do things that are contrary to God's Word. Sin always damages a healthy relationship. And it damages your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it blocks His power from fully impacting your life. Look at the next command. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Do not stifle. Some of our versions say do not quench the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you stifle the Holy Spirit? How do you quench the Holy Spirit? Well, you grieve Him when you do things contrary to His Word that displease Him. You quench Him when you choose not to do the things He's asked you to do. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to step out in faith, in obedience to Him, and you resist that prompting, and you do not step out in faith, that's how you quench. That's how you stifle the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's just like pouring water on a fire. And that's how a Christian loses their passion for Jesus Christ and becomes lukewarm, becomes apathetic, becomes complacent. Because I can guarantee you can go back into their lives and you can discover those times where the Spirit of God was ministering powerfully in their hearts and lives, prompting them to step out in faith, and they refused. They refused. They resisted. They did not obey. Look at the third command. In Galatians 5, verse 25, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, two weeks from today, that's going to be the entire focus of the message. How does the Spirit of God lead? How do we, in very practical terms, follow? But let me just say at this point, this is how you do it, one step at a time. It's repent, trust, and obey. Just one step at a time. When I say repent, as He prompts, as the Holy Spirit... Remember we read in John 16, He reminds... The Holy Spirit what does? He reminds us of what Jesus says. Reminding you, you're going along in life situation. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe it's a matter of financial integrity. It, it could be a million and one different things. And suddenly you're in this circumstance. Suddenly you're in this situation. And the Holy Spirit within you... When, you're, when you come to a crossroads, He brings the Word of God. He brings a command to your mind. Or He brings a principle to give leading, to give guidance. Or He, he gives you a promise 
to give you the courage to step out and do what He's asking you to do. That's exactly how the Holy Spirit works. And so, as He does that, the first thing I have to do is what? So often, repent. What I mean by that is, I do have selfish desires. I do have a struggle with following Jesus. Jesus did say, you have to what? Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me daily. So the Spirit prompts. He gives guidance and direction. So I have to turn from my selfish desires, my, my, my sinful desires, and then I can say, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to step out. I mean, this, this may be contrary to what everyone else is doing. All my peers, I may have to stand alone in this situation. my allegiance. He's worthy of my trust and obedience in light of what He did for me when He sacrificed His life on Calvary's cross. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is not an experience to be sought. It's a relationship to be maintained. Look at the next statement in your notes. The filling of the Holy Spirit is simply living moment by moment in Jesus' presence, as if walking hand in hand with Jesus. See, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is on the inside, the inner man, to strengthen you, to make you aware, to make you conscious of Jesus' presence, to remind you, as we mentioned, His Word, to give you those promptings, guidance, and direction. That's His ministry. And that's all the filling of the Holy Spirit is. It's just, it's just walking hand-in-hand with Jesus. You know, I, I think of Peter. Uh, here's a, it's a great example of this. If you study the Gospels, whenever Peter was near Jesus Christ, I'm talking about in his immediate presence, folks, talking about boldness, talking about courage. I mean, he was ready to go to Jesus, what? To death. And he had such zeal and vigor. But after Christ's arrest, When Peter got separated from Christ, what happened? He lost all of that courage, all that boldness, denied Jesus, even cursed Jesus, saying, I don't even know this man. We see the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring you into the conscious awareness and presence of Jesus Christ. So that as you walk through life, it's just enjoying a relationship with Him. And see, sadly, we're where many of us drift is this. Our Christian life becomes nothing more than a routine to endure. Oh, read my Bible today. Check. Did my devotions today. Check. Tithed. Check. You know, I didn't do this. Check. Didn't do that. Check. You know, it's, it's, it's this list. And, and, and we just see it as some routine to endure, and we've lost the beauty and wonder of a relationship with Jesus Christ and enjoying that relationship moment by moment, day by day. Look at the last truth. Look at the very last truth as we conclude. And again, so very important. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not an emotion to thrill the saved, but an empowerment to reach the lost. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not an emotion to thrill the saved, but an empowerment to reach the lost. What does it say in Acts 1-8? 
but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit is not to slay you, it's not to shake you, it's not to thrill you, but it's to empower you to reach a lost world for Jesus Christ. And folks, hear me. The reason a large portion of, portion of the church never knows the filling of the Holy Spirit is because we've never surrendered our lives to advance the, G, the gospel of Jesus Christ outside the four walls of the church. The reason He gave the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to form Christ in us, was what? To be displayed through us. It was to reach others for Jesus. Yet we've turned the filling of the Holy Spirit and so many other truths into inward, where it's, it's all about us, about our selfish desires, about our happiness, about what we want, about prosperity, about success, about health. You don't find that in the New Testament. You find that power of the Holy Spirit moving His people out to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if this church is going to live, if this church is going to thrive, we're going to have to get very serious about reaching this community for Jesus Christ and going wherever God will lead us, guide us, and direct us. Many of you know, I've said this before, my favorite devotional writer is uh, Andrew Murray. Uh, I was introduced to Andrew Murray uh, right after my conversion. I've literally read every book he ever wrote, every devotional book, somewhere between 30 and 40. He lived way back in the 1800s. He was a missionary to uh, South Africa, a Dutch reform man. And uh, let me share a quote along these lines from Andrew Murray. He, he said this, And so the promise of the Holy Spirit in the fullness of power, comes for one purpose. That purpose is to bring the life of the church as a whole and each believer into harmony with the will of the Father and the work of the Son, so that they live only for what God and Christ live for, the glory of God in the salvation of men and women. The Spirit is come to fill us with the love and zeal and strength that we would live and die that every creature would know the love of God. As we give ourselves to this and wait at God's feet for His orders, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon us. Amen? So, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? My goal was to be very simple, but I trust practical, and bring clarity to an area where there's been a lot of confusion. It's not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. It's not the coming of the Spirit into my life, but the controlling of the Spirit within me. It's not the getting of charismatic gifts, but growing in Christ-like character. It's not an experience to be sought, but a relationship to be maintained. And it's not an emotion to thrill the saved, but an empowerment to reach the lost. Will you bow with me in prayer?
I just want to give you an opportunity right now to respond to the truth that you've heard. And let me just, just walk you through a couple of questions just to give you an opportunity in light of what we shared to sort of ask God to take you through a spiritual inventory or at least begin the process now. You know, we mentioned that the, Holy, that, that the filling of the Holy Spirit is, is just as simple as maintaining a healthy relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And the Scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me just ask you, or suggest, would right now, right now in your heart, would you ask God, ask God, God, is there anything in my life that's grieving you right now? Anything that's brought you sorrow? Any area in my life that displeases you, that is out of harmony, in, that's contrary to your word? Holy Spirit that dwells in me, would you right now put your finger on any and every area where I've grieved you, where I've wounded you, where I've brought you sorrow? And then if the Holy Spirit puts His finger on some area, would you be willing right now to confess that? To repent, to turn away from it, to trust and obey God as you're brought back to that place of surrender to follow Christ as your first love.